Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore with everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more. Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! Hey, what's up everyone? Happy New Week to all of you. Wherever you hail from, you found your way to Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShamp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. It's great to be talking to you on this, our 40th episode. Woo! Woo! Good stuff. <laughs> Don't feign excitement, Ben. Be excited. Yeah, I've only been listening to the last 10 or so episodes, so <laughs> the episodes with me in them. We do have a fun theme show for you today. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I will be dragging you through this soggy, boggy marsh and pushing from behind is Ben Helwig, the the captain of the polo shirt team. Hey, mate. <laughs> it's my trademark. I am I am a proud, soggy bottom boy. <laughs> How are you this week? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm jazzed. Jazzed. Jazzed for the 40th episode of uh, Good Movie Mondays. Mate, I'm excited. And this show, of course, can be got to on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcast from. Perhaps that's Podbean, Stitcher, Player FM, or loads of other platforms, and coming soon to iHeartRadio. But heck, just save yourself time and use that purple podcast appy thing on your smartphone. You'll find us there too. As I mentioned, this is our 40th episode, which really doesn't feel like much when you say it out loud. I just realized that. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, 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 it's younger than I am, so <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't bad. If you're new to this show, I guess that means there's a decent backlog of episodes for you to explore. And if you keep going further back than that, you'll find our previous shows, which was uh, Franchised and Rewind and Digress. How many how many shows in the, in the back catalogue, Glenn, do you reckon feature the film Curly Sue? Well, um, I reckon one. Well, just one? Okay. I reckon if, if, if people are lucky, there will be two. And if they can identify two, there's a, there's a decent prize in them for that. <laughs> So I guess people are wondering, what are we going to do to celebrate our 40th? Uh, I guess in in true turning 40 fashion, we'll probably have a couch nap and an early dinner and probably turn in at 8.30. You've just, <laughs> you've literally just described my life. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I'm going to cram in a double feature of This Is 40 and The 40-Year-Old Virgin. That's what I'll be doing. I'm just going to watch, I'm just going to be watching Curly Sue. <laughs> Maybe listening to some London beat. Before we reveal this week's theme, Ben, just got to check in with you there, mate. Have you been keeping tabs on She Who Shall Not Be Named? She Who Shall Not Be Named? <laughs> Rose Nyland. No, did she, she? She didn't, did she? That didn't no. happen. <laughs> I'm asking if you've been keeping tabs. No, no, I haven't. No, it was in, you know, out the mouth and out the brain <laughs> immediately after I said it. Uh, I haven't. I haven't. Is Has Lake Placid happened? Well, look, The Undertaker is on standby just in case that unfortunate Good Movie Monday curse strikes again. Fingers crossed we're in the clear. Yeah, that's what, I mean, she's she's got uh, at least uh, you know, a day <laughs> to go before it becomes like, because now we're recording now. So like any time from now on, 
before uh, the show drops. Uh, that's the that's the rule. That's how the curse works. So, you know, two days, two days max. That's all she's got left. I still want to test the cursed intent fate by saying her name, but I won't because that would be cruel if it happens. <laughs> what if we said somebody like Sarah Jessica Parker? Oh, dude, man. I mean, I love striking distance as much as the next guy, but you know. You know what? That's what two episodes you can find her name on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the strike. Was there a special on striking distance? I certainly hope so. Uh, a rewind and digress. You do have a short memory. We spoke about her last week when we talked about Flight of the Navigator. Oh, no. I like Yeah, but that's. Yeah, she was like the side. She's like a side. She wasn't the lead. It's, we're not talking about. What's that? Uh, what was that movie she did with uh, Matthew McConaughey and uh, Zoe Deschanel? That uh, empty, that living the nest one. The weird romantic comedy where that old, where the football player is naked all the time. He's married to, to Kathy. Uh, I have no idea what you're about talking her. about. What's it? Uh, oh, it's, it's Matthew McConaughey, Sarah Jessica Parker, Zoe Deschanel. Uh, I keep thinking of Kathy Burke, but it's not. It's not. Kathy shout Burke. out to uh, shout out to one of our listeners, Nadine. She might be able to have the answer for you there. Uh, what's, that, what's her name? Kathy. Who's the one from The Shining and Misery? Kathy Bates. Yeah. I'm sure, Kathy. Kathy Bates is the mum. She's the mum in lots of things. She's the mum. You're thinking of, of the Waterboy. It's a romantic comedy. No, I'm not thinking of the Waterboy. That's Faruza Bulk from American History X. And no, no, no. Kathy Bates is the mother. Oh, she is in the Waterboy. Yes, but she's not not in this film. Not in this. <laughs> in this film, there is no. Hey, uh, mate, you're no on the wrong. There's you're no on... goddamn foosball <laughs> in this film. You're on the wrong podcast. This ain't no rewind and digress, my friend. <laughs> So, this week we are going to be talking about movies that have been spun into TV shows, and metaphorically speaking, Ben and I have a tendency to go all Peter Jackson on your asses, because we have, you know, meaning that sometimes we can take short and sweet things like The Hobbit and turn them into nine-hour trilogies, and... uh... (laughs) It's just me trying to remember who, uh, what the name of that film is called. And it could be any film. (laughs) So, while there are endless movie-to-TV show examples to explore... But alas, we're only going to focus on a few. But the best part about that is I'll also reel off a heap of other examples and then we can take that discussion to the Facebook page. And you know what that means. Prizes for you. So hang around. We're about to get started. But first, can you guess what this TV spot is advertising? They need him to get away with murder. He's Raleigh Tyler, master of make-believe. We want to stage a fake assassination, Raleigh. But they're setting him up as the killer. You were the bait. He'll need every trick from every movie he's ever made. Where are you, Tyler? Just to get even and get out alive. Forget why you hired me. It's more than real. Rated R. Well, perhaps it's just the fact that we're total geeks, but I reckon that is an easy one. And it may have also been turned into a TV series. There is a prize to be won if you know what that movie was and you're the first to answer correctly. And we'll let you know what is up for grabs a little bit later on. But rightio, before we launch into the theme for this week, Ben, mate, Monster Fest. It's back on the cards for Melbourne. Absolutely awesome news. What can you tell us about that? Well, look, I can't, I can't tell you much. Jarrett pretty, is, is going to talk about it later in the show, uh, I understand. So I don't want to uh, steal any of his uh, much-deserved thunder. Uh, but yeah, but it is it is back on. It is uh, in the cinema. It is in person. None of this online festival nonsense. Uh, there'll be you know real, real popcorn, real seats, real screens, real films in a real cinema with real hand sanitizer, with lots and lots of real 
hand sanitizer. Fantastic. Well, it's awesome. Monster Fest, you heard it, folks. Back to Melbourne from December 3rd to December 10th at Cinema Nova. Bloody great stuff. And if you've never been to Monster Fest, then you're missing out. So get cracking, snap up some tickets. It's been a rough year for everybody, including the Monster Guys and the Cinema Nova Guys as well. They're sponsors. 2020 Monster Fest. Welcome to the apocalypse. Get some. Hey, Ben. Yeah. What do Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Uncle Buck, and School of Rock have in common? Hang on. School of Rock, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And, and Uncle Buck. And Uncle Buck? Uh, it's not John Candy. It's not John mm-hmm. Hughes. I don't know. What do they have all have in common? They've all been turned into really shithouse TV shows. Has Uncle Buck been turned into a TV show? Twice. That's not... <laughs> You mean, are you just confusing it for Mr. Belvedere? <laughs> well, dude, I'm going to talk about Mr. <laughs> Belvedere later. <laughs> no, uh, Uncle Buck, originally in the 90s, there was a TV series. And then maybe two or three years ago, there was uh, another series with a, an African-American Buck. Right. Who played Who played Uncle Buck in the original one, in the first TV iteration of it? Yeah, I don't know. Probably uh, like okay. John, probably John Don, Candy Jr. What's What's that fat Donovan guy? Back in the day, he was in the wrong guys and in Police Academy. The fat guy from Police Academy, oh, maybe it was him. The guy who plays like is it Sweet? Is his name Sweet in Police Academy? No, you're thinking of Sweet Chuck. So is it Sweet Chuck? Yeah. Oh no, no Sweet Sweet Chuck, the little nerdy guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, let's get stuck into those in a few minutes' time. But first, I want to hear all about the new releases that are coming out on DVD this week and a little bit more about Monster Fest. So let's give Jarrett the mic and we'll be back in a jiffy. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, there's only two labels releasing titles to disc this week and of those two labels, they're both going through the one distributor. That's right, the one distributor. So we've got Rialto and Roadshow titles coming out via Roadshow. Let's kick it off with Rialto, who have got the release of the week, in my opinion, and that's the film Spree. Unfortunately, it's only coming out on DVD. There is no Blu-ray. Now, this film was a film that they released uh, simultaneously in limited cinemas. I think it was probably somewhere between two to maybe three cinemas. uh, And they put it out on premium VOD at the same time back in September. Now it's getting a physical release on DVD. And this is an exceptional film. I caught it earlier this year at Sundance and absolutely loved it. It stars Joe Keery of Stranger Things. And it's a pitch black comedy and blood red thriller that explores the quest for fame in the age of social media and the potential dangers of ride-sharing. Thoroughly recommend it. Check it out. It's headed to DVD this week. Then from Roadshow, the two titles they've got coming out, the first is Acute Misfortune. It's an adaptation of Eric Jensen's award-winning biography on the Australian artist Adam Cullen. Now, you may remember this title. It was doing the festival rounds back in 2018, and well into the international festival uh, circuit probably 2019 well it's finally seeing the light of day on disc and it's coming out on dvd then also from 2018 and uh, kind of why the hell are they bothering releasing this on dvd well clearly because they've got nothing else to release on dvd is ai rising now as i said this is a film from 2018 it's a serbian film shot in english and it's to a degree a bit of a cash-in on the 2015 film ex machina and it's about a relationship between uh human astronaut and a cyborg that tests the boundaries of human nature uh so that's it for releases for this week on home entertainment locally but i thought i'd talk about something else and that's the news that monster fest is coming back to melbourne that's correct 
after we had two date shifts, third time is a charm. So 2020 Monster Fest Welcome to the Apocalypse is happening in Melbourne from December 3rd to December 10th. Now, this lineup will carry over a lot of the films that played at the Interstate Festival. So you will be seeing Psycho Gorman, that's correct. You will be seeing Synchronic, that is correct. You will be seeing Action USA, the amazing Action USA, the most actionist movie ever made from 1989 in an all new 4K restoration. However, I'm not really at liberty at this point in time to reveal the other films that have not been announced that will be playing as part of this lineup. I can tell you that there will be at minimum at least three, maybe four, maybe five films that didn't play any of our interstate fests. And of these films, several are Australian premieres. There might even be a rep title in there as well, so get excited for that. Like I said, I can't say too much just yet, and we are still literally locking these films as we speak because we only got the news when everyone else did that the cinema is going to open in Melbourne. So we were quickly working with our cinema partner, Cinema Nova, to commit to those dates and we wanted to put those dates out straight away so that everyone could kind of lock them into their calendar. Not that everyone's got a lot to do with the restrictions that are still in place to a degree here in Victoria, uh, but we wanted to give everyone as much notice as we could. So Again, those dates, December 3rd to December 10th, happening at Cinema Nova, and that is just over a week. It does run from a Thursday through to a Thursday, and we've reduced the amount of programming. So we will have as many films as we did interstate. In fact, we do have more programs than the interstate festivals. However, we are splitting up the films. So on opening night, we'll have one film. Say on the Friday, we'll have two. There'll be no counter-programming, so if you buy a VIP pass, you'll be able to see everything we play at the festival this year, which is a bit of a first, really. And then we'll play, I think, probably three features on the Saturday and Sunday. Then I think it's pretty much two sessions each night of the week right up until closing night. So it's going to be it's going to be pretty exciting. And I will just say there will be a bit of a festive theme about the festival this year. So we may have a festive film or two. Uh, it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be great to be back in the cinema with the Melbourne genre community. And I just can't wait to see some genre cinema back on the big screen where it deserves to be seen. So that's Monster Fest happening in Melbourne from December 3rd to December 10th at Cinema Nova. And you can get VIP pass tickets right now for $220 and that will grant you everything you'll see at the festival, which, like I said, is more than 14 sessions, as it were, interstate. In fact, it could be closer to something like 16, maybe 17. I think there's even a double feature in there. But I'm not going to say too much just yet. The news will be dropping any day now, so keep your eyes on www.monsterfest.com.au or on the Monsterfest Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Anyway, until next time, stay physical. Mate, when you first pitched this topic to me, initially I thought it was going to be really hard to come by some examples, but the second you actually put your mind to it, like they're fucking everywhere. Like especially now that retro revivals are kind of all over the place. You know, you got The Exorcist and Cobra Kai and Damien, 12 Monkeys from Dust Till Dawn. So they are sort of a dime a dozen. I was going to say by put your mind to it, do you mean type movies that have become TV shows into Google? Because <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's how my mind works these days. Um, look, I'm not going to lie. I did that, but not before I tried to flex my capacity, my mind capacity as far as it could go. Your, your brain nuggets. I came up with probably about 15 and then I thought, you know what? I need to sort of see how many there are. And boom, were there a lot.
There's a lot. We could obviously go on and on. And like, I don't want to steal your thunder right off the top. I, I do have a bunch of 70s, 80s and 90s ones here too. But but what about you? Surely you're chomping at the bit to talk about a few. Uh, yeah, look, there's a, there's a couple. There's a couple that I really like. Uh, sometimes the funny thing about these is sometimes the movies are great and the TV shows are awkward. Like uh, I've tried three times now to watch the pilot episode of the firm, the TV series. <laughs> and it just, and it like literally starts with, with, uh, with, uh, and now I've forgotten his name, but the, the guy who's playing the Tom Cruise character running across the, whatever that pool is, where the like Washington monument is or whatever it is in, in Washington being chased by, you know, two mob mob guys or whoever they're supposed to be and like it's supposed to be this big thrilling kind of opening and it's you're just like i oh, hit the fast forward this sucks yeah and how <laughs> like many times have you done that I've, done, I've three times i've tried to watch wow. that show and each time i fail <laughs> i don't i don't like it one that i really did like was that uh, i think season two has just popped up on stan but is Mm -hmm. the tv show is called condor but the original film is three days of the condor yes uh, which starred robert redford and a brilliant max von sidow or sidow or sidow Sidow, i think it's sidow um which is all about this this guy who reads books in a cia think tank and uh when he's out for lunch one day his entire kind of think tank is wiped out by max von sidow and his post postman dressed up cronies uh, yeah that was um that was one of the films i think that keith recommended in one of the early episodes like it's a, it's a beauty it's a fantastic film and the opening that opening is spectacular that that, that that massacre scene is just so incredibly brutal for a for a 70s film yep uh and it really kind of launches you into the rest of it and the rest of the film i almost like as great as it is i almost don't feel, think it lives up to that awesomeness of that opening scene but uh yeah, look, that's a that's a good job by Keith. How does the how does the TV show hold up? The TV show is pretty good. They they tack on a, a very kind of modern sensibility to it, so it's a lot more. They this one in the original movie, the 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 kind of MacGuffin or that uh, spurs spurs on the action is kind of fairly unimportant to the kind of like I mean it is important to the plot, but they don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. They, but the in this one in the TV series, it's a it's a you know has kind of all this international ramifications, and it's very much a you can't trust anyone, and your best friends are actually trying to kill you, and you know all this kind of stuff. And but it um, but they kind of they do work it out well, like the the woman he meets, um, and in the film, I, I think it's Faye Dunaway. Is it Faye Dunaway in the film? I think so. I think it's Faye Dunaway in the film. Someone fact check us uh, there. <laughs> Let's just pause the show for a second. Yes, it's Faye Dunaway. <laughs> uh, he kind of he just meets her by random, which is a thing that kind of comes back in the later on in the film. The fact that he did just choose her by random, but in the in the book, he's actually gone on a blind date with her, and it, the date does not go well. But then he still ends up kind of uh, meeting up with her. I think and Brent in the TV series is actually a a very rare Brendan Fraser appearance, a fat Brendan Fraser because he's put on. He seems to have put on 10 kilos all in his face, which is if you're Brendan Fraser and you're losing your hair, that's exactly where you want that extra 10 kilos to go. Do you know how he got fat? Uh, is it going to be some horrible disease? Placebos. It was placebos. Placebo. Have you ever seen, um, have you ever seen 
um, Kids in the Hall brain candy? No. No, I haven't. Uh, Brendan, Brendan Fraser has a, a cameo where he breaks out in pimples. He's like, I know what this is. It's placebos. It's been two weeks, and I don't feel any different. All I've done is gain eight pounds. Now, what's in this? Sugar, isn't it? I'm in the placebo group. No, I look, I... I, uh, <laughs> I, I that, was start... awful, that was a pointless, pointless reference that no one's going to get. Yeah, it's like... A, like we never, because I don't think we ever really got any of the kids in the horse stuff out here. You just happened to live in Canada at the time. No, no, no. We got the um, we got the best ofs on the VHS the back in right. the day. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. That's where Dave Foley came from from News Radio and the Wrong Man that I think I recommended a couple of weeks a couple of weeks ago. Correct. Um, so do you have but, another uh, one there? Do you have another one there? Uh, yeah, another one, a great one that it went for a season. I don't think it ever aired on TV over here, but if you can track it down and there are websites that, that do make these shows available, but Out of Sight actually spun off a series and the series was called Karen Sisko. And instead of Jennifer Lopez playing the Karen Sisko character, it's Carla Cugino. And yes. Instead of Dennis Farina playing the dad, who does an excellent uh-huh. job in the film, it is even more excellent. Robert Forster is the dad, mate. And uh, I, I had no idea about this one. It is it is excellent. And in the pilot episode, it's one of those ones because it is it's interesting when they do this when they do create TV shows from films. The how they handle the film is always interesting. Like, do they try like in the case of things like From Dust Till Dawn? where they just basically recreate the film in the series. And I think in From Dust to Dawn, they pretty much get through the majority of it in the first two or three episodes yep. of, the, of the film. Whereas this one and the firm, they the firm is actually set after the movie. So the movie yep. has happened, it's canon, and this is them kind of moving which, on with Which is life. the way I prefer it. Yeah. And in this one, they, kind of, they, do, they do basically do the film, but they do it in the first episode and it, it has a completely different outcome and it's a, it's a whole it's they they change it around so you know they may have made it a bit more like the book because i believe it's based on elmore leonard is um uh, michael keaton yeah. in it no the michael no 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 michael <laughs> no michael keaton there is that that character kind of does pop up but she basically um like she outsmarts all any of the men that she kind of deals with on a, like a romantic level she's they have trouble with it because she's smarter and better than they are at everything. Uh, but they, um, but in the, 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 the George Clooney character is yep. basically is, uh, is played by um, McDreamy from uh, Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> Patrick, right. uh, whatever his name is. I can't, I can't think Dempsey? of his name. No. Patrick Dempsey. Dempsey. Yeah. Well, he's going to, the woo-woo gonna kid. Up, he's going to come up later on in the show as well. Because of the TV series um, based on the woo-woo kid. <laughs> Wait or, uh, and find out, my friend. What's that, what was that? What was that great movie he did where he's banging all the housewives? He's the pizza delivery boy, and he's banging all the housewives. Lover boy. Lover boy. Yes, classic, <laughs> classic eighties TV. No, I mean, you know, uh, the other one that he did, the um, the for love or money or whatever. Well, that wasn't called for love or money. What was it called? No the idea. one where he where he hires um, he hires the girl to be his girlfriend to make him the cool girl to be his girlfriend, so he, so he can be cool. And they remade it with Nick Cannon and Samantha, and uh, not Samantha Mumba, and uh, fucking yeah, I, just shoot me in the fucking head. I cannot remember a single person's <laughs> fucking name. The only one that matters here is Meatballs Three, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like 
Jesus. All right. Well, late. that's okay. Jesus. You have a think. You have a think about that. I'm going to reel off one uh, before we move on. All right. So Highlander, the series, which was based on the 1986 film of the same name, uh, this show ran for six seasons from 92 to 98, and it also had a, a spin-off show called The Raven, which lasted for one series in 98. And this Is one the had the woman. Uh, Is the woman yes. Highlander in The Raven? Yeah, and she looked almost like uh, Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix. Like she had that kind of you know, yeah black. Or, uh... Good or Alyssa Milano, coffee. or Alyssa Milano in uh, Double Dragon, where she's <laughs> yeah. shaved her head Man. and dyed it blonde. Oh, that's right. We uh, yes, Jarrett and I we spoke about that one on an entire Double Dragon episode of um, Rewinded Digress. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the Highlander of the series starred Adrian Paul as Duncan McLeod, who was the younger cousin of Connor McLeod. Connor McLeod, of course, played by Christopher Lambert. I love saying Lambert. Lambert. Everyone says Christopher Lambert. I say Lambert. <laughs> anyway, very, very cool show. Uh, it kind of set the scene at the time for the a lot of fantasy-based series that came after it, and it sort of plays into the Highlander mythology very well. It expands the universe nicely. Uh, Christopher Lambert actually appeared in the pilot episode to sort of hand the baton over, so it is connected with the films. Um, of course, it crossed over again when um, they did the theatrical film Endgame. But look, it's, it's a tacky, it's a tacky TV show. No doubt about it, but it kind of, I think, paved the way for things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which Buffy, you know, another movie to TV adaptation, which was a phenomenal phenomenon of a show, which has legions of devoted fans, but they're similar fans to the Highlander ones. Did you ever watch the Highlander series? I, I did watch it a little bit. It was always, it was, I get the feeling from memory, not like I get the feeling, from memory it was on like at 10 o'clock at night on like Channel 7. Yep. something like that it was always like a late night tv show and i was given the choice between watching the highlander tv show the mortal Kombat tv show which was on around <laughs> the same time or watching the renegade with lorenzo lamar i would i watched the renegade yes well i didn't look, so I, I did i saw a couple episodes but didn't really. i don't know when it aired but i do have the entire dvd collection and it, it's something of a prized possession to me i just adore it and um i probably need to go back and watch it again but um the entire Highland legacy, Highlander legacy is fantastic to me. But how did they, in the TV series, how do they explain it? Because the first film is very clear. Like in the, during the quickening, he has to kill all the other Highland, all the other, and then I love it that they, you call them Highlanders, but he's yeah, literally called the they Highlander can be only because one. he was, yeah, he was the, he was a Highlander. Like that's what he was. Like there if can it be was, only one. What happens when you've got two that yeah. are related? Yeah. And, but. And well, because but the end of the first one where he kills um, what what's his face he the Kirk, yep. um, Clancy Brown he yep. absorbs all his power and the things off and then I mean and then the second one I mean the second one they go let's make this let's make the these immortals of beings like a, a race of people from outer space from a from a planet <laughs> that have come down only, to Earth and are doing only in the only in the theatrical cut that doesn't <laughs> yeah. exist in the director's cut oh doesn't it. So, no, so, so where's Michael Ironside from in the director's cut? So what happened in, in that is that Russell Melke's uh, original script and film was completely different and the studio wanted to get in on, cash in on some other sci-fi-ish kind of thing that was going on at the time and they decided let's just add this backstory of them coming from the planet Zeist, which was fucking ludicrous, right? And probably, I don't know late 90s or early 2000s Russell Malcoy had a chance to do the Renegade cut which is his director's cut and it's it's immensely I feel like I should better. be doing a TikTok dance now that you said the Renegade but 
it's a, it's a much going. much better version of the film but um in 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 answer to your question about there can be only one and you've got these two in the series they kind of skirt around it um because it is very episodic in that each episode has you know, like a mystery he has to solve. And the concept of there can be only one is sort of addressed in that, well, if we don't kill each other, then we can just keep on going type of thing. Right. And it's not and it's not until the end game crossover that the reality of all that kind of comes into it. Right. So that ties it off. Because I never, like, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Highlander 3. Yep. I saw that at the, at the cinemas and I really liked it. And that was that was a that gave it a plausible thing, like because he was Mario Van Peebles was trapped under the ice. So yeah. when when uh, when the Highlander thought that he had killed everyone and won, he was mistaken because this guy was actually still alive, just frozen. So yeah. he never should he never earned the crown that he you know had. But yet, but he's still during the film. Even Mario Van Peebles is still cutting people's other people's heads off. Yeah, because the whole so thing about the, the Highlanders in general as a, I guess, a species or a race is that um, they just don't actually know how many there are and they've got right. to keep cutting each other's heads off until right. there's, I guess, a pentultimate quickening that indicates that it's the final. I don't know. They never really addressed the final one. Yeah. M- mind you, part five goes back to the source, so whatever. I'll have to go back and watch that. But anyway, there's a lot more to be said about this theme uh, of... Uh, Movies turned into TV shows in a few minutes, but let's get a little bit of goodness from Screen Realm first. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Let's talk a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week, kicking off with the next Transformers film. It looks like the director has been chosen for the next film in the franchise that was reconfigured with 2018's Bumblebee and is now heading into an overall revamp. The script comes from Joby Harold, who co-wrote Guy Ritchie's King Arthur Legend of the Sword and Zack Snyder's upcoming Army of the Dead. As of now, it appears that at the helm will be Stephen Capel Jr., who made his feature debut with the 2016 indie drama The Land and went into the mainstream with his sophomore effort Rocky franchise entry Creed 2. The studio was looking at pictures from various directors so it's clear that Capel's take on Harold's screenplay was of high appeal. Stay tuned for casting and plot details as this one comes together. There's a sixth Home Alone movie heading to Disney Plus and the original film's director Chris Columbus doesn't sound too happy about it. First of all, I'll tell you a little bit about the new film. It's serving as more of a reimagining as opposed to a straightforward remake in an effort to reboot the franchise following a number of direct-to-home entertainment releases. Home Alone this time is young Jojo Rabbit actor Archie Yates, who you may remember as Jojo's buddy who delivered the line, it's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. This young boy will be facing a wife and husband who, in order to save their home from financial ruin, are after a priceless heirloom that he has stolen. Ellie Kemper from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Rob Delaney from Catastrophe Deadpool 2 will star as the couple. Chris Columbus, director of the 1990 original Home Alone and the sequel Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, had the following to say to Insider while promoting his upcoming Netflix sequel The Christmas Chronicles 2. Nobody got in touch with me about it and it's a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. What's the point? I'm a firm believer that you don't remake films that have got the longevity of Home Alone. You're not going to create lightning in a bottle again, it's just not going to happen. So why do it? It's like doing a paint by numbers version of a Disney animated film, a live action version of that. What's the point? It's been done. Do your own thing. Even if you fail miserably, at least you came up with something original. Yep, he's clearly not happy about it. The new Home Alone is being directed by Dan Mazur, whose directing credits include I Give It A Year, Dirty Grandpa, and Sasha Baron Cohen's series Who Is America? He earned an Oscar nomination for co-writing Sasha Baron Cohen's Borat. 
Angelina Jolie has lined up her next film as director, signing on to direct Unreasonable Behaviour, a biopic on British war photographer Don McCullen. Tom Hardy is to be one of the producers of the film, which will be written by BAFTA-nominated screenwriter Gregory Burke, known for 71, which is a great little film by the way if you haven't seen that. The planned film is said to be an unflinching account of the celebrated British war photographer's life, which took him from poverty-stricken wartime London to some of the world's most dangerous war zones. He took harrowing black-and-white photos in Vietnam and Cambodia while working for The Observer and the Sunday Times newspapers, and was constantly risking his life to capture the images of war to send back home. This will be the fifth film as director for Angelina Jolie. Her previous credits include In the Land of Blood and Honey, Unbroken, By the Sea, and First They Killed My Father. Apple has acquired Tetris the movie. This is supposed to be a biopic on the Dutch video game designer who secured the rights to distribute Tetris on consoles. In the 1980s, he was involved in a dispute that arose over the franchise's copyrights. Cast in the lead role is Taron Egerton, whose credits include Kingsman and Elton John biopic Rocketman. The film is to be directed by John S. Baird, who directed the crazy 2013 James McAvoy starring film Filth and the 2018 Laurel and Hardy biopic Stan and Ollie. As always, be sure to jump on ScreenRealm.com for the latest movie news, trailers, all that jazz. We've also currently got some great competitions up. As I mentioned last week, we got the Expanse Seasons 1 to 3 Blu-ray box sets up for grabs, and we've now got two more awesome giveaways thanks to Viavision Entertainment. They've been unveiling some truly awesome box sets, and we've got two more of them up for grabs. The complete sci-fi comedy series Future Man on Blu-ray, and a seriously awesome box set focusing on legendary special effects maestro Ray Harry Horson, one box set with Sinbad of the Eye of the Tiger, the seventh voyage of Sinbad, the three worlds of Gulliver, the golden voyage of Sinbad, Jason and the Argonauts, Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, and it came from beneath the sea. Jump on these giveaways, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm out of here.
Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. This week's episode is Talking Animals. Talking Animals, the best animals to talk. Best oh, talking animal movie. Now you may think all of those are shit, but we assure you, we found three that are not. Oh, I know. wouldn't go that far. Well, oh no, you, one of there's them, way we, more than three that don't suck. Well, we've found three that we like. I bet one of us says a shit movie. Who wants to go first? Okay, so I'll go oh. I'll go first because you know what? I was gonna talk about Howard the Duck. You could? I could, but I'm not because they're I actually want to take this seriously. Best this talking another twofer. Beck no. <laughs> best talking animal movie, Paddington. Oh, it's pretty damn good. Paddington is a is a flawless movie. I dare anyone to look at that movie and, and criticize it because you have no fucking soul. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And it's then even good. the sequel is even better. The sequel, the sequel, uh, in, does not insist upon itself <laughs> uh, <laughs> to steal a, cl- a line from Joe. Uh, no, but Paddington. Uh, I stole it from Family Guy, and Jake I know. uses it all the time. But I thought about doing a gag when I talk about Howard the Duck. But you, you got to talk about Paddington when you talk about talking animals. It really is a great film. It's one of the, it's one of the most classic films in recent history, and it and it deserves that status. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, check it out, guys. What do you got? I've got, I'll go next. Mine is Babe. I saw this when it came out in the theater and a lot of people at my age in 1995 were not fans of it, although it was a hit and made some money. The reason being is because I, Chad talked about Flawless. I haven't watched it in a long time. Actually, and I now like the sequel, Babe, Pig in the City, which was directed by George Miller, who was the producer and writer of the first one. The first one was directed by Chris Noonan. It's a- Thanks, one, Australia. Yeah, thanks, Australia. And it's one of those heart movies. I, it just has heart to it. I don't. I haven't watched it in a few years, but you want Babe to succeed. You you're following Babe, and Babe is not just Babe as far as being a baby pig. He's a Babe innocence. He is an innocent character, and he you befriends just want to sp- follow him and su- to succeed. I actually really like Babe. And he befriends a spider, and all this wonderful stuff happens. A spider that's, learns that, to write. That's and uh, it is such a heartwarming film. Hannah Barbera's best animated film. Talk about he's on cocaine. <laughs> I almost said, "Will you please instead talk about Wade the Duck?" Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with one that I think also has a lot of heart and that a lot of people love. Matter of fact, it has an 8.4 out of 10 rating on IMDb and has a talking animal that is charming as the day is long. Voiced by John Mulaney, Spider Ham in Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Um, yeah, that's a. Although I agree, that's a. Good is he character. an animal? Does he talk? Yeah, yeah. There, he's a talking animal. If you've not seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, hey, we don't know that he's a talking animal. You don't see what's behind that mask. He does have uh, a snout coming. I read the source material, it, sir. It could be some sort of bastardization. For those that don't know, thing for those it. that don't know about Spider-Ham, he premiered originally in the What the Comics. And he's from a universe of talking animals where the Punisher is a, uh, is, is like the pun fisher. Wait, what's the comic? What the? No, I'm asking, what's the comic? <laughs> the uh, and, and so they were all animals, and Spider-Man in this universe ate some uh, radioactive spider, like a spider got into his wheat cakes or something that were made by his Aunt May, and he became the phenomenal Spider-Ham. And later <laughs> gained cosmic powers as well. Oh, and I forgot to mention Babe. Babe has one of the best performances. My two favorite James Cromwell performances are Babe and a little movie called Murder by Death. Google it. Which all pale in comparison to him as Zephram Cochran. 
<laughs> all LA right. Confidential. That's also, they're all good. They're all good. They're Green Mile. He's a good actor. All right. Thank you so much. It's been Bonehead Weekly Fun Side. Spider Ham. Spider Ham. Does whatever a Spider Ham eats turkey. Hmm. Well, talking animal movies. I, I actually think those boneheads hit the nail on the head with Paddington 1 and 2. Those movies have no right to be as good as they are. And I was pleased to hear that they uh, they reference Babe 2 in there as well, which I think is one of the most underrated Aussie films of all time. Definitely more people should be seeing it. And you heard Guillermo before that with this week's update from Screen Realm. You know the drill. Become a fan of Screen Realm and join us in championing their effort to put more nerdiness into the nerd verse. <laughs> is that possible? I don't know. And... In the middle of all those was a song by Billy Squire called Fast Times, The Best Years of Your Lives from the Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack, which of course was another example of a movie that spawned a TV series. Fast Times, that ran for six episodes. Just six episodes. <laughs> Short but sweet. 1986, but it was directed by Amy Heckering, Heckerling, I should say, who made the film. And the original film's writer, Cameron Crowe, was a creative consultant on the show. But replacing the actors in the film were uh, some up-and-comers such as Claudia Wells from Back to the Future, Courtney Thorne-Smith from Melrose Place, Patrick Dempsey. The woo-woo kid. And Dean Cameron as Jeff Spicoli. But um, the favourites from Fast Times, Ray Walston from My Favourite Martian and Vincent uh, Schiavelli from Dorf on Golf, amongst other things, <laughs> also reprised their roles from the film. You mean Ghost. Yeah, Ghost. His greatest too. performance was in Ghost terrifying on that train subway scene yeah oh. <laughs> made the movie like up until there you're like i don't know about this film a lot of, there's a lot of clay in this film and i don't like it i'm amazed that did not get a tv series you would think that like at least like a Whoopi goldberg spin-off where she as a medium you know talking <laughs> to ghosts and and you know having adventure solving crime in her spare time that would have been a, an obvious one i would have thought i think you've just pitched it mate <laughs> yeah i i mean i'm sure they've sure they've done that surely they've done that show right where there's a someone can see ghosts and they help they help them uh you know finish off whatever it is they had to do and yeah is it med- medium medium ghost whisperer there you go it's yeah. been done it's been done it's been done <laughs> anyway fast times that's why we played that song good call good call i mean i can't think of any you could have played suicide it's painless i suppose that would be another oh, yeah. one. It's a bit dark. It's a bit dark for for early on a first thing on a Monday morning. But uh, you know, if you wanted to play the, because uh, that's I think that's the greatest, the greatest uh, ever movie that spawned a TV series. Uh, maybe the first one. Maybe the <laughs> well, first. I dude, it. No, no, no. Certainly not. Surely. I don't know. But anyway, would you like to take it away with another movie turned TV show? Well, the one we were just talking about was, of course, Mash. And it all depends if you take the uh, the movie version of the song or the TV version of the song because the TV version doesn't have lyrics, doesn't therefore have lyrics, not yeah. as dark. Yeah, because they, uh, yeah. <laughs> they would have thought that Suicide is Painless as a lyric. Uh, <laughs> it would been a bit dark for television. For uh, yeah. you know, start your Wednesday night. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the interesting thing about MASH is that I know Robert Altman was not a fan of the TV series because he said, and it's when you go back and watch the film... They spent. A, they purposely never mention really what war it is they're in. They don't mention who they're fighting. Yep. It's just 
in the, and everyone just, assumes that it's Korea, yeah. but they 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 don't actually say it. It's just the goings on in this medical it's just unit. Amb- ambiguous. It's all on the ground. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, uh, different different. Of... They were made in different eras where one was became taboo after a while. Yeah, that's right. Although, yeah, I would have thought that Mash would have been <laughs> like the TV series would have been a bit would have been worse off. But I guess that yeah, it's looking. I suppose it's looking back, and the TV series went longer than the actual war did, which was great. I always thought, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. you know, they kept poor Hawkeye, who, who I think he he outlasted what two other doctors, like Trapper John, did his full stint, his tour, and got sent home. Uh, the Colonel, uh, the original Colonel, um, uh, saw his out, saw out his term and went home. And then of course, uh, spoiler alert, uh, got shot down. <laughs> Henry, Henry Blake got shot down on his, his plane got shot down on the way home, much to Radar's distress. And then they brought in, uh, Colonel Sherman Potter to replace Isn't that him. ironic that they got shot down to Radar's distress? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I see what you did there. That's very punny. Uh, it uh, wasn't, yeah, well, very punny, but not very funny. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, I think, I think even Frank Burns even got uh, got sent home, and Larry Linville and replaced with David Odgen Steers uh, as uh, Charles. What was his name? Charles something the third. I remember he was the third Winthrop or something like that. Uh, Winston the third. <laughs> Come on. And then, what is it? And then uh, and BJ BJ comes in. I think BJ may even get to go home. BJ Honeycut before uh, <laughs> before Alan Alda goes insane in the last episode. And they, I think that's the. I don't know if the. I think the war ends, but by the time the war ends, he's already lost the plot, and Sydney the psychiatrist has already come in and declared him, like mentally insane and that's yeah it's a horrific end to uh a much loved comedy <laughs> comedy uh, yeah, sitcom as uh i remember there was that great bit in freaks and geeks when they're talking about it and they're like you take that laugh track away and there is not one joke in match <laughs> it's not a comedy <laughs> it's true it's very 100 percent true and they did it they finally got the laugh track taken away like around season seven or eight or something like that and it is not a barrel there was a there was a spin-off series and was it more mash it was called is that what it was called uh well there's i think there's a couple because trapper john there was trapper john md and there was and there was one with uh clinger in toledo i can't remember what he was doing if he was running a pizza place or like a taxi outfit but he had a spin-off as well clinger Oh, what was it called? The spin-off. Oh my god! Um, and then there was the there was the um, did Trapper John Mash. have a? It was after after Mash. Mash, and Trapper Trapper John. I think I always get it mixed up. I think he had a a, a movie after the series as well. But oh, he Wayne Stevens was... was also in the. Uh, uh, I remember, but he's Barbara Eden's. He was Barbara Eden's husband. I think he may have been like the movie spin-off, like reunion thing of I Dream of Jeannie, but Larry Hagman was dead. <laughs> and so Wayne Wayne Rogers had come in to replace Larry Hagman. And they're all like much older, of course. Dude, the other spin-off from MASH was called Walter. But the the title was, was spelt Walter with those asterisks between every single letter, like right. MASH. Yeah. Like, what does Walter stand for if that's what you're doing? 
Yeah, no, who knows? Medical <laughs> Army uh, Surgical Hospital. I believe medical starts with an M, not a W. Not a W. No, I, I think Unless that, you're yeah. Alma Fudd and it's <laughs> medical. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, just a, it's a, like a dyslexic title. Well, anyway, how about I uh, narrow down my focus and I'll just, I'll, I'll, instead of talking about one off the top of my head now, I'm going to just go off a few and you can either cherry pick from these to talk about or we can take it to the Facebook page for everybody else to talk about. So some would be Wet Hot American Summer. That had two mm-hmm. series. Lethal Weapon, Westworld, Heathers, Ten Things I Had About You, Teen Wolf, Bates Motel, Nine to Five had a TV series, Fargo, uh, Friday Night Lights, About a Boy, Stargate was a big one, Wolf Creek, um, Indiana Jones, Minority Report, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Police Academy, Lockstock, Casablanca had two spin-off uh, sort of TV shows. And just, just and- to clarify, when you say Indiana Jones, you mean young Indiana Jones. Yeah, I'm actually naming the films. The films that had, that had spin-offs. Right, yes. okay. Um, and Private Benjamin had a TV show too, but they're not obviously yes. the granddaddy of them all would be Star Trek. Well, Star Trek was a TV series first, right? Oh, it was too. Never yeah. mind. Scrap that. <laughs> Star Trek Scrap was a that. series, had three three seasons, and then the film came out. You are then there were more correct. films than there were seasons. <laughs> <laughs> but there was also um, there's a couple, there's a, a Clueless. Do you remember do you remember Clueless, the TV series with Rachel Blanchard? I sure do. As, as sure, but and Stacey Dash, uh, uh, kind of continuing. Ferris Bueller. Uh, Ferris Bueller. Uh, there was uh, the Odd Couple, of course. No, that was a TV series. That was a movie and then a TV series. The Odd Couple was a big one. Uh, In the Heat of the Night. Do you remember that TV series? Yeah, I almost chose that for my end of show recommendation. What oh. a what a great movie that was, and the TV show was pretty good. It was a lot. It was a lot darker than I thought it was. I remember like seeing random episodes here and there of it, and yeah. it just seemed like a like the fact that he was a he was a black didn't like. I mean, it was a part of the show, but it wasn't nowhere near as kind of dark and full on as the as the movie. But yeah. then when I finally I picked up the, I think they released the TV series here locally in one of those, like his six episodes and his like a, like yeah. a kind of like a random compilation thing rather than a full season uh or full seasons of the show and the i watched the pilot and it's like it's as dark as the film like yeah (laughs) there's a lot of race stuff going on there but then don't they turn like a lot of the white characters they 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 really soften them a bit yeah because there's the the guy who whose name i can't remember um he always he plays kind of big heavies in stuff and he's like the the i guess he's supposed to be the um the second fiddle cop he's the um uh, oh God, what's his name in the film? Uh, Warren Oates. He's the Warren Oates character, except he's <laughs> twice the size of Warren Oates. Yeah. Um, and he starts off as pretty racist. And then as the series goes, he softens and he, you know, becomes one of like racism makes me sick kind of, yeah, kind of things. And you're like, okay, this is like you've, you've changed a lot, but you're a regular <laughs> character and you don't want to be hated by America. So. Uh, but that was a pretty good one. Um, this is the moment you, you're allowed to talk about Mr. Belvedere, if that's what you want to do. Well, like the funny, like Mr. Belvedere, yes, was a, it wasn't really a spin-off. It was taken from a, a character from another film, right? He was like, he's in a, like the film's not called Mr. Belvedere. The film actually has another yeah, name. No, you, there was um, a film in 1945 called Sitting Pretty. And yeah. then he, that had two sequels. One was called Mr. Belvedere Goes to College. And the other one was Mr. Belvedere Rings the Bell. 
Right. Okay. So it's one of like like a Andy Hardy type. Uh, yeah, Maren Parkettle type of. Thing. Pa- yeah. Right. Right. I used to. I loved Mr. Belvedere when it was on TV. Like I loved. I it. knew you. I just when I was thinking about this this show, I knew you would love Mr. Belvedere. Yeah, I love. I love the dad. Like it was, and I think, <laughs> like I don't know if I don't know if he is playing it or if it's just a coincidence. But because he in the show Mr. Belvedere, the dad is like a sports announcer. And in Major League, that guy is the sports announcer for the for the Indians. In in, and I was like, "Is this a spinoff of Major League? Like, this is amazing." That would be cool. That Which, that could have easily had a, a spinoff TV series. I don't know if it did. It may have had one, like just one that we never heard of. <laughs> well, it had I that third that third film with Scott Bakula was called Back to the Miners. That could have yeah, had a spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, that that's that ranks up there with the third. Uh, Ace shot uh, spin off. <laughs> like, uh, it was like I mean the second one was a was a a nice idea and it had Alison Duty from Last Crusade in it and stuff like that and you know it was it was it was okay but it didn't it did no way did it capture the magic of the uh, of the first film but the third one you're like Jesus like they've really they've drawn a long bow here <laughs> really trying to cash in on that first film. All right, well, I'm itching to get to my next one, but do you want to pick one more? Uh, just trying to think. Uh, I, actually, the, the, I like both. I like the, both the movie and the TV series. The TV series, I think, is probably five years old now. Uh, the film a bit older. Uh, the film Limitless. Do you remember that? With, yeah, uh, I do. With Robert Bradley De Niro Cooper. and uh, Bradley Cooper. And then they made the TV series uh, with, um, uh, what's her name? Jennifer Carpenter, I think, is the right. Is yes, because he because basically because in the in the movie he's a uh, he just discovers this formula to make himself a genius or a drug that makes him a genius. You no, know, he asks right, he takes it. It's part of an yeah. experiment or something. So he takes this the drug and he becomes a genius and he, he keeps getting smarter and smarter and smarter until he can eventually recreate the drug so he can keep um, getting smarter. Which is very similar to, kind of to Luke, to Luke Besson's Lucy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, in in that kind of regard, but then the TV series, in true awesome American TV series fashion, like almost apocryphally, he becomes a genius, and then he ends up helping the FBI solve crimes in his spare time, because <laughs> that's what you do in awesome American TV shows. Uh, they could cross that over with like Hannibal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that, that Hannibal would have been much better if it would have just been Clarice and Hannibal Lecter, like just solving crimes. Like each week, it's a new crime <laughs> that they they go and solve, and they become partners, and it's like a Sam and Max hit well, the road can, type show. We can briefly talk about that because it kind of is a, like a movie turned into a TV series, even though it's sort of based on on the character from the books. But apparently, the the showrunner for Hannibal's trying to get the the fourth season off the ground, which apparently everyone involved is willing to do. And the fourth season was supposed to be getting into the Silence of the Lamb stuff. So Clarice comes into it, and they um, right because it's all a prequel, they, isn't it? The, the, the yeah, Hannibal, and and the and this. Season four was essentially going to be Silence of the Lambs, the series. Because, like, I thought, isn't it? Like, I mean, I haven't read all the books. I've only read Silence of the Lambs. I haven't read any of the others. Yeah. Um, but at the end of, because at the end of Hannibal, he's like, he's getting Ray Liotta to eat his own brains and 
runs off yeah. with Clarice Starling. He runs off with Clarice. So that's the perfect entrance to a TV series where they're evading, <laughs> they're evading the FBI <laughs> while solving crimes, like walking the earth like Kane from Kung Fu and solving crimes. <laughs> like helping, like it's Highway to Heaven, but with cannibals. <laughs> Mate, that would be fantastic. Like how good would that show be? <laughs> there is no possible way for me to tie that into mine. Um, so the second one I want to focus on is from 1993. It's an Australian coming-of-age drama, The Heartbreak Kid with Alex Dimitriatis and Claudia Carvin, which was turned into Heartbreak High, which was um, essentially the Aussie version of Degrassi High. Uh, yeah, ran for seven seasons. The thing that's so amazing about this TV show, the movie, the whole conceit of the movie is that this teacher and these days it's so, so taboo like she grooms this kid yeah and then takes advantage of him even though it's hard to tell in real life like is alex dimitriatis older than claudia cavan it's hard to tell <laughs> he's supposed to be 17 and she's supposed to be 23 or 24 right so yeah and it's he... like even watching it it's inappropriate in every every way because they end up with each other in the end in the end yeah like it totally happens and you know, for what for whatever, like you know, the movie. I think the, the movie doesn't portray it as as being that horrible a thing. Like it's true love or whatever they they portray it as. But the TV series, there is zero teacher student fucking in the TV series. <laughs> yeah. That does not happen. No, and it's just essentially Alex Dimitriatis' character um, at supposedly the same high school, and then it turns into a Degrassi Junior High kind of thing where yeah. you've got all these students. But it does it does. Um, touch upon the taboo subjects in a similar way, uh, like the demographic at the you know at the time, um, all the issues were very very relevant to school students at that age. But the cast itself, I want to talk about because you had Alex Dimitriatis who came from the film, and interestingly, he was cast in the film because a talent scout saw him walking down the street and just offered him the job or the opportunity to audition. So wow. that's like a rags to riches story right there. You had Abby Tucker. Do you remember her? I do remember Abby Tucker. I got to, I went to the Melbourne premiere of uh, Angst at Miff ah, with Abby yes. Tucker and Abby Tucker. And I was sitting in the, and back then, all the movies, a lot of the movies that played at Miff, um, especially the premieres, were played at the Capitol. Yep. And there was none of this queues. Like, there was no queues to get into a film at Miff at this point. Like, yep. you just sat in the lobby, and when they opened the doors, everyone just kind of got up in a big mob and yep. kind of walked through, like, you showed your ticket kind of thing. It was, much more civilized than it is today and nowhere near as ridiculous but like abby tucker was there to do the opening introduction and kind of q a and so i'm sitting in the lobby basically next to her <laughs> and i'm like oh my god I... it's abby tucker from uh and i didn't know what was to come i didn't know that in in you know 20 minutes time she was going to take her clothes off on the big screen <laughs> is this i feel i feel i feel embarrassed for you <laughs> <laughs> And funnily well, enough, there's another heartbreak. There was another heartbreak high. I think Anita Cox, who would later basically replace Abby Tucker, is in Angst as well. She's the, yeah, right. the girlfriend who's got all the soft toys that the guy jizzes all over. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think Angst turns 20 this year or has turned 20. Right. And I had the director lined up to do an interview for the show, and it just sort of, we never got around to it. So. <laughs> Oops, he's probably sitting there waiting for the yeah. waiting for the call. Uh -oh. waiting for the call. <laughs> People want to talk about my uh, my favorite my favorite film, Angst. Uh, we'll there's a great scene where uh, a guy beats a uh, 
Porn store thief with a dildo. Never. We'll have to wait until the 40th Fantastic anniversary. Uh, Scott Major was also in um, Heartbreak High. He played Rivers, um, Catherine Halliday, Salvador Coco. He played Con. He was an iconic character. He was the one of the ones that actually stuck around the whole time because the other ones came and went. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Sal Coco was the one who went, hang on a second, I'm not getting a gig. Outside of what you can't stop the murders, I'm not getting another gig in uh, <laughs> film or television, so I'm staying here until they carry me off in a body bag. Famous for that haircut, that brill creamed haircut. That, yeah, living up to the stereotype. And a, what's his name? <laughs> Who played Drazik? Drazik was in uh, Drax. Great High. Drax. Was it Drax? That was um, Kellen Mulvey, who Kellen is Mulvey. now a Hollywood, a Hollywood actor. He's in Man of Steel and um, the Avengers: Endgame and Dark, Zero Drazik? Dark Thirty. He was uh, like the heartthrob. He was the Alex Dimitriotis kind of replacement. Yeah. And he was he was a very, very pretty young man. Yeah. And then he got into a horrifying car accident and mm-hmm. scarred up his face. And now he plays villains in, in well, uh, Marvel movies. That's it. It's sort of a bittersweet thing, isn't it? Because that was a fortuitous accident because Hollywood came calling based on his looks. Yeah. And the same thing happened to Mark Hamill, except he never got a career after Star Wars. But they had to, <laughs> that's why they the whole thing on the ice planet Hoth with the oh, yeah. thing scratching his face up was to cover up the fact that he'd been in a horrendous car accident. Do you remember the um the the holiday special when he just didn't look quite right? Right, yeah. Because he was fresh well, nothing, from the accident. Nothing was quite right in that holiday special. <laughs> you got that right. Uh, and the other the other cast member I should note um, from Heartbreak High was Tony Martin as Mr. Southgate. Yes, yeah, that's right. And he was like fresh off being the priest on East Street. Yeah, oh that uh, yeah, this came after East Street, didn't it? It was after East Street and he went from being like Father Bob, everyone's best buddy, to being yeah. the hard as nails asshole teacher that everyone hates. And he kind of clung onto that persona for the rest of his career. For the rest of his career, yeah, that's right. He's has never really gone back to playing a nice guy since. Of course, uh, which I is think super the, interesting. the highlight of his career would have to be Inspector Gadget 2. Electric Boogaloo. I think uh, I'll, I'll set them up. You fucking smash them down, mate. Fuck them down. <laughs> you know, like I, w- I was going to say, like you know, last week you proposed a six-hour episode for the James Bond series, but man, I reckon we could do a six-hour episode on this. But then again, I'm thinking we've probably lost half the audience when no. we start talking about fucking uh, more mash and fucking. <laughs> no, I reckon they're all riveted by a heartbreak high conversation. You reckon? Yeah, who doesn't love who doesn't love reminiscing about Heartbreak High? If they're old enough to remember Heartbreak High, they love it. If they're too young and don't remember it, they 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 wouldn't be listening to the show in the first place. Well, you know that makes this point in the show a sad moment because we do have to move on. So I apologise to everybody. Um, we'll, we'll we'll do something on the midweek video. Um, anyway, Adam has a movie in mind that he would like to recommend. So let's hear about that. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. Now this is our 40th episode, so what I thought that I would do is I would go 40 years in the past and then I would figure out what is my favourite film from 1980. Now my favourite film from 1980 is unequivocally Raging Bull. Martin Scorsese's greatest film, maybe like neck and neck tied with Goodfellas. What is Raging Bull? Now you might have avoided this one and the reason why is because it is in black and white but if you've got this idea that this the black and white equates to some kind of like censorship or puritanical filmmaking you are really really mistaken. This is Scorsese at his funniest, at his rawest. I mean this movie is profane in almost every way um, and it is just so thrilling and engrossing. It is the story of Jake LaMotta, uh, an incredible boxer 
an incredibly an incredible piece of shit as a as a human being well just a complex dude and you know and scorsese has done this in other movies as i just said like goodfellas and the wolf of wall street where he has made incredibly you know complex challenging movies about charismatic men who make some really poor decisions it would seem that almost no one else would like to go into the moral quagmire that he does with these characters as referenced before about the black and white cinematography this movie is absolutely stunningly shot by michael chapman and it was such a bold move to release this film in monochrome the way that they did um, but it gives it a timelessness uh, scorsese is pulling out all the stops as a director here too as well i mean his boxing scenes here just absolutely sting he does some really clever shit like even has flames in front of the camera to create this kind of smoke haze you know to make you feel like you're woozy and punch drunk in there um obviously robert de niro won the oscar for best actor as his performance here as jake lamotta and i think that there's you know a pretty solid argument here that it's the greatest performance in cinema history a lot of people think about it because of his weight gain which honest to god is still you watch it say is absolutely startling that he would get himself cut like a fighter and have this incredible physique and then for him just to go to italy and feed his face and blow it all out his support his supporting cast here is incredible joe pesci is well he's joe pesci and he's going 110 percent joe pesci here and he's incredible as his brother and kathy moriarty i think is just you know this indelible screen icon in this movie i think that just you know everything from her voice to her looks is just so memorable here um and if she's you know if you never saw her in another movie you would always remember her here as vicky lamotta so look if you haven't seen raging ball or you've been avoiding it because it's the black and white movie the critics want me to see just shut up check it out you'll be wildly entertained you'll laugh your ass off too as well like i mean it's one of the funniest movies scorsese's ever made and mortifying in bits so one of the best sports movies made one of the best boxing movies made one of the best movies period raging ball five stars check it out Adam Ross, everyone, uh, you heard him. Just shut up and see it. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, for any of our new listeners on the show, Adam is the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association, and he also appears every week on Ticker TV, uh, which that's a brand new live news network, which you can find at tickertv.com.au. Go check it out. It's an exciting new venture run by people who previously held positions on other networks. But anyway, it's time to give away some shit. Um, prizes to be won. We've got stuff here. Think back to that TV spot earlier in the show. If you are the first one to guess what that movie was advertising, then you're going to score a copy of the brand new release, The Birdcatcher from Eagle Entertainment and a free pass to Luna Drive-In. Bundling those together. Just be the first person to email correctly to glenn at fakeshemp.net. Then the prize is yours. Uh, if you live outside of Melbourne, then we will replace the Lunar Pass with two additional new releases from Eagle. But now comes the time where we recommend stuff. And, well, as if we haven't been doing that for the whole show anyway. So I guess we're just going to talk about more movie to TV titles. And Ben, got anything you want to recommend? Uh, well, if we're recommending the film, I haven't seen the TV series, but I do love this film. Uh, from 2002, it is about a boy. Starring everyone's favourite uh, blowjob recipient, <laughs> Mr. Hugh Grant. That's right, Hugh. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten that you copped that blowy from a prostitute in the car. In Neither has Jarrett. Neither has Jarrett because he he referenced that recently too on the show. I just love that. That's you know yeah. what goes around like, literally I mean, I, comes around. He's he's totally like he's done enough romantic comedies and stuff. He's and and 
you know, excellent uh, dramatic films to kind of totally move past his uh, his uh, dalliance I, with prostitution. I wish, I wish that this you know podcast had a video component right now because I want to talk about the fact that the mugshot of Hugh Grant after copying that blowy looks like he's doing that whole shoulder shrug like, huh? You know yeah. what happened? He's he's doing his best earnest impression. <laughs> hey, do not tarnish the name of Ernest P. Worrell, my friend. <laughs> yeah, Ernest Dance with the get, devil. Ernest would never get caught getting a blowjob. He'd get the blowjob, he just would never get caught. He'd just pretend to be, you know, he'd sing a song and the cop, and he'd just sing like a, some kind of song and the kid would, the cop would be like, uh, you know, just happened to be like a kid from his, from uh, <laughs> summer camp or something and no. let him off. If Ernest, look, man, I'm not Jim comfortable. Barney, Jim I'm Barney. not comfortable. Jim Barney's up for BJ's. Come on, don't Mate, tell me that Jim Barney's not. You know what he would say about that? <laughs> I I apologize to every single one of our Kentucky friends listening to this right now who I know you all love and adore Jim Varney, and most of you know me as that person who's associated with Jim Varney because I run his official memorial website. Why can't you um, you, you can love Jim Ver, Jim Varney and understand that he would like a blowjob? In fact, if you loved Jim Varney, you would want him to have as many blowjobs as he could possibly get. I am very, very good friends with his family and Andrea, uh, Justin, I apologize. <laughs> but anyway, about, about a boy, about a boy, 2002, based on a, uh, a Nick Hornby novel written, uh, directed by the uh, Whites brothers, Chris and Paul, and starring, of course, yeah, as I said, Hugh Grant, but also a very young Nicholas Holt, who is now, you know, uh, star of Mad Max, <laughs> Mad Max Four, star of uh, last was it last not last year last year the year before's uh, the was it the favorite was that was that last two yeah years he ago? was in that and don't forget Warm Bodies and you know Warm Bodies yes <laughs> and uh, of course Skins which uh, has neither had a film uh, it was neither spun off from a film or had a film based on it he loves uh, a gobby too. He certainly does. In that show, everyone gets gobbies. It's all about he gobbies. Gets, he gets gobbied with chrome in Mad Max Fury Road. He does. <laughs> it's like the Tin Man just blew all over him. Yeah. <laughs> a, if he only had a... I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> uh, uh, and of course, oh, yeah, Australia's own Tony Collette uh, mm-hmm. as the... Improbably, like, funnily enough, in her, one of her most unappealing uh, yeah. roles. It's a fantastic film. That's a really deep film when you actually strip it away. Yeah, it's great. And a young Natalie Tanner, for all you Harry Potter fans, uh, <laughs> pops up as the, as the uh, object of Nicholas Holt's affection. Uh, and 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 uh, Good Movie Monday favorite, Rachel Vice. I say that <laughs> as if she is a Good Movie Monday favorite. She's one of my favorites, and I'm on the show, so I guess I can say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Vice, Weiss, Weiss, and she'll be on the show next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be talking about giving Hugh Grant a blowy. Just, just Darren Aronofsky and now Daniel Craig. She saves all their blowies for James Bond himself. Mm -hmm. I don't know where to go with that. We've really, we've really crossed the line here. The, uh... well, you, I was, I mean, it could have spiraled out of control before when you mentioned BJ leaving that show and all, but you know, oh yeah, I kept it together then. Yeah, <laughs> one mention of Hugh Grant, it's all out the window. <laughs> Would probably literally. Uh, yeah. 
no, you keep that. Like, uh, <laughs> like in American Sweethearts. Please keep uh, my seminal juices as a gift, as a memento of our time together. The best, <laughs> best part of that film. American Sweethearts is a, like, if I could recommend two films, American Sweethearts would be the other one because that movie is an underrated gem, a hidden gem of a bizarre romantic comedy. If you listen carefully, you can hear those crickets. People, people who don't love American Sweethearts are people who haven't seen American Sweethearts. And I'm going to take over and talk about something. <laughs> Is it American Sweethearts? <laughs> no. Um, look, I'm going to talk about the TV show. So, ultimately, I went with the big fat poster that's right behind me, which you can see on my uh, vid- on our videos every week. I'm talking about Evil Dead, which, of course, oh. after two sequels and a reboot, turned into Ash versus Evil Dead, which is arguably, in my mind, one of the greatest horror comedy TV series of all time. Um, it's a brilliant continuation of the series. The first two seasons tie into those two original movies wonderfully, and then the third season ramps things up and brings Army of Darkness into the forefront, which is the poster behind me, by the way. I know you can't see it on this podcast, but tell you what, Bruce Campbell's never been better than on this show, and the new characters they introduced to Evil Dead are just so tasty. There's like the ass-kicking Kelly played by um, Dana DiLorenzo and the quirky Latino sidekick Pedro played by Ray Santiago and they are incredible characters and then there's Lucy Lawless and Lee Majors plays Ash's dad. Um, Samara Weaving comes along and kicks some ass. Super gory. Incredibly fast-paced. 25-minute episodes. It's really, really easy to watch and I don't think Evil Dead gets much better once it uh, really kicks into overdrive on the third season. So good. Did you ever watch it? I did indeed. Yes, of course. Of course did you did. like it as much as I did? Probably not as much as I did. I don't know if I liked it as much as you did. I, as a rule, I generally have trouble with derivatives. Usually, sometimes, some like Limitless. I like the movie and the TV show. This one, I liked the TV show. I didn't like it as much as I liked the films. Yeah, I didn't think no, it was as good as the movies. I think that goes without saying, but I just think it is a really, really sweet continuation. Like it does tie in with the movies and the whole legacy i think you know the storyline comes full circle which i really loved i love it when his hand comes back from part two but they they, it it comes back in a way that makes perfect sense you know what i mean yeah they just i just think they amped up his buffoonery like his his i mean his arrogance and his buffoonery because like he is he is like it's 100 percent army of darkness ash yeah but it's not evil dead 2 ash or evil dead ash but that, to me, is the perfect progression. Because if that's yeah. where he was at in Army of Darkness, then it's it's natural that he's not he's only that's... going to get more buffoony over all these years, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and and he just he relishes that role like it, it, he was just born to play Ash. Yeah, although I do like him. I also love Bruce Campbell as Sam Axe in Burn Notice, where he's the yes. aging, alcoholic Lothario ex CIA man. Or mate, he's spy, great. Spy, he's great Navy in everything. Seal. He's fantastic in Escape from Los Angeles. Like, you know... Yeah, as a Surgeon just, General, he's great. Yeah. yeah. But um, look, for the cheapskates oh, out there, um, all three seasons are on stand, so you can watch it there. But I do recommend getting the Blu-rays because there's lots of special features and stuff. So anyway, that is my recommendation. If you haven't seen Ash vs. Evil Dead, then do it. But that is it for Nito. We've come to the end of the show. Um, Before we sign off, I wanted to give one little plug to a good friend of ours, Andrew Leevold, whose iconic Trash Video Store has been resurrected as an online website store. So visit TrashVideoArchives.com and you can rummage through the hundreds of movies 
that he has on sale. Oddities, rarities, cult classics, Hollywood blockbusters, all formats. Check it out. It's good stuff. And almighty thanks to Jarrett from Monster Pictures, Guillermo from Screen Realm, Adam from Adam's Just Seen, and of course, Joe, Chad, and James from Bonehead Weekly. Great stuff from a lot of them. Not too shabby yourself there, Ben. I try. Try. Well, thank, thanks for another week. It's uh, just as fun as the rest, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I mean, despite, I think we only mentioned Curly Sue twice on this show. Very disappointing, but, uh, you know, we, there's always room for improvement. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, the same goes to everybody listening. Thank you for tuning in again. Hope you had a great uh, time, as, as much of a time as we did on our 40th episode. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna insert a party popper right about here. <laughs> and we can't wait to do it all over again next Monday. Not 40 episodes, just another episode in general. But anyway, here is an instrumental piece to take us out. It's called Shoebox Odd Socks, and it's by Paul McCartney. And the reason I chose this track is because it's featured on the soundtrack to This Is 40. Thanks for making it 240 with us, everyone. Here's to another 40. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Uh-huh.